1: We are back. America's Heroes Group roundtable with our partner, Vets. That's the Veterans Employment and Training Service. August is National Wellness Month. Today is Saturday, August 27th, 2022. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Claiborne, co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Arner Productions. We have a panelist with us today. That is William Kanan Torrens. He's a U.S. Army Operations with Desert Storm, Desert Shield, and also presently serves as the Director of the Veterans Employment and Training Services, Vets, Compliance, and Investigation Division. And we're going to talk about um, the Uniform Services Employment and Reemployment Rights Act, USERA, otherwise known as. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. So a lot of guys have returned back from Afghanistan, and they've a lot of people were in National Guard and like I was or reservists, and they had problems going back to their jobs or they. So what's going on with that? Tell us about the Act and what it means.
0: Okay, we'll have you too. The Uniformed Services Employment Act, uh, Employment and Reemployment Rights Act, you up Uh, does three basic things. And if you understand these, then you understand the statute. The first thing the law does under Section 4311, uh, 38 U.S. Code, Section 4311, is that it provides that employers cannot take any adverse action against any current or prospective employee due in any part to that individual's past, present, or future military service status or obligations. Now, Under that, under that uh, uh, part of the statute, the uh, the service member, uh, I mean uh, the military uh, service, does not have to be the major reason for the adverse action. It can just be a small uh, part of it. But in any event, if they if the employer takes an adverse action against the employee doing any part of their service, that's a violation of federal law. Okay, that's the first thing. Very similar, very very similar to Title Seven violations. Uh, race, creeds, uh, gender, that sort of thing. The next thing the law does is that it, uh, it provides that it, individuals who leave civilian, their pre-service civilian employers to go on periods of active military service and who meet the five eligibility criteria for re-employment have to be promptly reinstated in the same position of status, seniority, and pay they otherwise would have had, but for that period of military service. Okay, And that means any uh, latter pay raises, any uh, that they move forward. It's like the Family Medical Leave Act in some respects, except that under FEMLOC, the Family Medical Leave Act, which puts the individual back where they were when they left, USERA puts the individual back where they would have been had they never left. Mm. And this has been the law since 1946. It was a seminal Supreme Court case, uh, Fishgold, uh, uh, Fishgold v. Sullivan Drydock. And in that case, I'll just explain very briefly. Fishgold was a uh, was a ship center with Sullivan Dry Dock before World War II. World, the war broke out, and he was dra- he was drafted into the Navy. Uh, did his time in the Navy, and then he came. And in 1945, he came back, demobilized, uh, seeking his job back. And uh, and and um, and uh, Fishgold and uh, Sullivan Dry Dock said, no, we can't. We're uh, well, you're, you're demobilized and we've laid off everyone. Well, the Supreme Court determined that not only are you, you're entitled to return to your civilian job uh, as if you never left because you went to serve the colors. You have additional rights that you otherwise would not have had. However, in this case, the escalator position is neutral. It can go down as well. So in this case, what happened after World War II all these, uh, all these businesses lost their. Uh, uh, DO, uh, the War Department it was not DoD back then. It was the War Department. Mm-hmm. They lost their contracts. With the result that uh, that they had massive layoffs, and they were able to show that he his proper escalator coming back would have been uh, would have been a layoff. It can go both ways, but in most most cases, it goes. Uh, it uh, has a positive result. And then the third thing that the the law does, it prohibits adverse retaliation, which basically means an employer cannot take any adverse action against any uh, employee, regardless of their military status, for either asserting or having asserted or having helped someone else assert his or her USERA rights. And uh, in the federal sector, it's also a prohibited personnel practice that's separate and apart from USERA, and, uh, and and that's enforced by the U.S. Office of Special Counsel.
1: Wow. So that's so is there a lot of uh, the employers not like this? And does this create any kind of um, any kind of hesitancy for some employers to hire veterans or hire somebody that they know is in the military? Do do you see discrimination in this in these cases?
0: Well, we do have I can't speak to the reasons that uh, an employer may not do that. Now, there is a question, uh, for example, as to whether or not uh, an employer can uh, uh, It often comes up. <clears throat> Whether the employer cannot, uh, can, can or cannot ask the individual, the prospective employee, about his or her military service, you know, or, i.e., are you a veteran? Are you in the guard or reserve? Well, the answer is yes. They can answer that question. Uh, they can ask that question, and the uh, and the and the and the prospective employee, employee is obliged to answer honestly. But if for any reason uh, the employer does not hire them. Then they and they file a Sarika complaint. The employer is going to be on the hook to explain why they refused or didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Now it doesn't mean they may have had valid reasons for not doing it. And uh, but if their military service was a reason, that's a violation of the statute. And and t- a 4311, uh, what we call the se- section 38 U.S. Code section 4311, is the Sarika anti-discrimination uh, uh, section. And those and those cases really are are. Are difficult to uh, are probably the most difficult of any uh, of any case to uh, investigate and substantiate. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but we do Uh, we do quite often. And in our annual report to Congress uh, that uh, that just came out this past uh, this month in the first of the month, uh, we uh, we lay out all the uh, the case numbers, the numbers of discrimination cases, the number of uh, uh, reinstatement, and so forth. We break it down uh, in minute detail.
1: Wow. So when you so the one of the things that I think is, is, is kind of amazing, one thing I t- heard about, too, that a lot of veterans talk about when you go into the military, it's like you're in a time capsule because when you go into service and you kind of talked to us a little bit, um, when you when you leave and you're and particularly if you're deployed, but even if you're just gone for just training, when you go, it's like you're in a bubble. So you don't know what's going on in the world and the world's moving on without you. Like, I've heard stories where guys have come back from, you know, uh, from like from previous tours and they didn't they never seen it. They really never, never seen a cell phone before. And they didn't realize that there was smartphones out like they, when they have left. There was there were flip flip phones and they came back and there were like smartphones. And they're like, what what is this? Like, what's going, what's going on? And then but at the same time, the workforce is also evolving and changing as well. So when people are coming back. To do their old jobs, a lot of employers have been saying that you know, well, you came back, but you don't know how to you know use this computer or this new software that we've been using for the last two or three years, or God forbid, you've been gone for six years. Now you know our workforce is totally different. What do you do in cases where um, when employers will say you're now obsolete because you don't have the skills you were out you know doing what you were doing in the military, but now you're obsolete because your skill levels haven't evolved and our whole workforce has changed?
0: Oh well, that's a big no go. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the employer, if the employer, if that happens, the employer is obliged under you, Sarah, to promptly reinstate those individuals in the same position of status, seniority and pay they otherwise would have attained with reasonable certainty had they remained. OK, and the employer is also obliged to get them up to speed, to give them whatever training they may need uh, on a reasonable basis to, uh, to serve in that capacity. So the five uh, the one thing I would footstop here. Are the five eligibility criteria for reinstatement. And I'm taking a little diversion from your, from the question, but we're going to circle back to it. Okay. So, uh, so essentially number one, the individual has to leave civilian employment to perform covered military service. And that's really any military service under orders. All right. The next thing they have to do is they have to provide notice, advance notice to their employer that they're leaving, that they're leaving. Now, it can be oral or in writing. We encourage them to, we and everyone else, encourage the service member to put that in writing uh, to avoid a he-said, she-said scenario. And then, uh, and they're not obliged to provide copies of orders. We encourage them to do it. DOD encourages them to do it. But they're not obliged to by law, and the employer cannot take an adverse action against them for failure to do that. Okay? Then the next criteria, they can serve. Up to five years cumulative on active duty, and still retain reemployment rights, and um, and they're subject to a number of exceptions. Stop loss involuntary retention on active duty is uh, is a valid uh, is does not covered. Traditional guard and reserve duty not uh, not count toward that, um, uh, or any anything like that. Involuntary retention and uh, a voluntary or involuntary service performed in or in support of wartime or national emergency. So that would have been Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, all of GWAT, global war on terror. Any of those, and that that duty would not count against that five year cumulative service limit. Hmm. And remember, it's a cumulative service limit. And then, uh, and then they have to uh, they uh, they cannot have a disqualifying discharge, which means bad conduct, dishonorable, other than honorable. Those will uh, that those will cancel out any rights under Sarah, If they get those, uh, one of those. Uh, uh, general discharge, uncharacterized, um, uh, medical, those are all good to go. Hmm. And then and then the last thing is that they have to report back to work in a timely manner. Now, under the law, it states basically that they have to submit a timely application for reemployment. And that's kind of a misnomer because they're not applying to get their old job back. They're really just telling their supervisor or the appropriate person in the chain of command that they're that they're back and they're ready to come back and it has to be done in a timely manner so if they were gone for up to 30 days or less than 30 days then they have to show up at the next work shift and with enough time to rest and and, uh, re- and uh, recover after periods of duty so if you were if your guard shift and you're not your duty ended at midnight on sunday and your shift starts at uh, 2 a.m or 5 a.m on monday morning then uh, then you're going to have to have about eight hours to rest and recuperate before coming back.
1: I got you. And, uh, <laughs> and,
0: uh, that's a good thing. And um, and then and if the duty period is between, uh, uh, between 30 and 180 days, they have 14 calendar days, two weeks to report back, or to let them know that they're ready to report back. And if they were gone for 180 days slash six months or longer, then they have 90, nine zero days to report back to work or let them know and during that they can take all of it part of it or or none of it if they want to They're called to do it so when they do come back to work the employer is obliged to put them back in that in that escalator position and it is never a valid reason for the employer not to rein- promptly reinstate them if uh, the, uh, during their absence the employer hired somebody else to do the job they really like that person and um and they say, well, yeah, we'd love to, but we fill the position. We can't bring it back. No go. Mm. Um, that's, uh, that doesn't apply. And they do have to take all, uh, all necessary and reasonable actions to get that person back up to speed to, uh, uh, to, uh, to do that escalator position job.
1: Hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. I got cheated a few times on that one. So <laughs> Maybe, I don't know if there's any recourse at this point. Now well, f- we can uh, talk about that. <laughs> now, now, one of the things that I was reading about and, uh, and I hear that there is a lot of these little agreements and employment contracts for arbitration and how arbitration can be used to circumvent you, <laughs> So if you, if you sign an arbitration agreement with an employer and that you get t- wrongfully terminated, you know, you come back to work, and maybe they maybe let you go six months later. Maybe they wait. A, maybe they wait. You know, a few months before they let you go um, because of your arbitration agreement. Now you can't just say, "Well, you, you can't fire me because I, I was doing my service." Now you have to go before an arbitrator who's going to make a decision instead of going through USERRA. How is what, how is that playing out?
0: Well, we're not seeing. We're uh, we're actually not seeing that as a, an impediment to our investigating complaints. Now, uh, just as a, uh, just to jump ahead just a little bit, in our annual report to Congress, we did include, and, in at the very end of it, in our legislative recommendations that we submitted on behalf of ourselves and the Justice Department, a provision, uh, that, uh, would, uh, would, uh, would clarify that you, trumps any, uh, any private agreement, contracts, or other that would circumscribe or otherwise, uh, uh lessen its protections. Now, there was a case, uh, I believe it was Garrett v. Circuit City, the seminal case on, uh, on arbitration agreements that occurred right around, um, I want to say, 03, 04, 05 in that time frame. Uh, no, I'm sorry, strike that. It was 05, 06 in that uh, 2005, 2006, in which uh, the, the plaintiff, a Marine captain, was a uh, worked for Circuit City, uh, which is now defunct. And... Um, and uh, they they had took issue with his uh, military service, and he sued in federal court. And Circuit City argued uh, argued for dismissal at the at the general district court level that uh, that he had signed a binding arbitration agreement that precluded him from filing suit in federal court. Uh, they had to go through an arbitration. Well, the district court held that uh, that he had usara rights and uh, that he could sue on his own behalf. The uh, Circuit City appealed that to the Fifth Circuit, I believe, and, uh, and ultimately the Fifth Circuit held that uh, that uh, that uh, right to right to uh, right to sue is a mere procedural right, and Yucaras uh, uh, Supremacy Clause did not really apply there. And since that time, there have been a number of, of, of uh, uh, differing decisions uh, split in the circuits uh, among the federal circuits about this, and it needs cleaning up. So we recommended, uh, that, uh, well, one, there's the FAIR Act, um, and, uh, which we address in our annual report to Congress. But one of the things we said in an alternative, uh, the statute should be amended just to clarify that, uh, that, uh, USARA applies to both procedural and substantive rights. Hmm. So that would, uh, that would clear up, that would just, for consistency, along with the statute. The la- language in the statute is fairly clear. In fact, we cited the lower, uh, the lower Gare decision in our, in our justification and our regulations when we first published those back in 20, uh, 20, uh, 2005-06 in the preamble. So it's our position, uh, that, uh, that, uh our position and the Justice Department, uh, position that, um, that, uh, USARA does trump those kind of agreements. Now, we have not had a problem investigating cases. For example, when we see that, a, uh, uh, that there is a binding arbitration agreement, we have not, not had a situation where the employer says, no, you can't investigate. And it's in their interest to have us do that. Because in the investigation process, we're, we're neutral. We are Switzerland, okay? okay? We are not advocates for the employee. We're not advocates for the, uh, for the employer. We're advocates for the law and ইউsara is probably the most employee friendly labor employment law in the books today mm-hmm. and uh, and it can be a tough law to comply with and we try to we really try to help employers do that and the vast majority want to they the vast majority want to do the right thing by their employees their service members they really mm-hmm. uh, they really have been stepping up
1: so, so what do people how do people contact you if they need help and they feel like that they um, are wrongfully terminated, but they really don't f- know that they have any kind of recourse. Because oftentimes uh, it, it can be intimidating and kind of daunting, particularly for a veteran who's used to following orders, used to being told what, do, what to do, and then all of a sudden they get laid off or let go, and they feel like, well, you know, they just don't want me, you know. And what do I, and so how do people get in contact with you in order to get help? Well, sure.
0: Well, uh, we have uh, – that's easy. We are – That let me the first say – that we, uh, vets, we're just a phone call or an email away. We're easy. Mm. And we have on our website at www.dol.gov slash vets. Let's say again, dol.gov slash vets. We have a uh, user page, and we also have the direct dial contact information for all of our staff members. And so everyone on my staff has a direct line there. I have a direct line, my uh, my uh, my, uh uh, all the field staff out there. We have over 200 people out in the field, and uh, and each one of those has a direct dial phone number that's on that website dol.gov/vets under contacts. And I encourage people if they have an issue to reach out to them, and then they can also uh, look at our USERA page. It's a wealth of information. Um, when they call us, they get a live person. There's no, uh, there should not be any uh, any voicemail or. Uh, or email uh, tree to get through. Uh, they'll pick it up right away. They should be now. Sometimes we have small state offices, like small states like Rhode Island, may not have but one or two people in there. But uh, but you know, larger states do. Now the other thing I would add that uh, we there are a, a ton of resources out there for folks that need uh, that need help. I would also make a plug for ESGR. That's a DoD agency, employer support of the Guard and Reserve, and they do super work and they do a lot of intervening on employees' behalf. Now, one thing I, I really wanna stomp, our goal, we're not out to get big settlements for people, I mean, sometimes we do, but what we're really looking to do is preserve that employer-employee relationship wherever possible, because that keeps everything spinning, the economy and everything else, and that keeps everyone employed and if the relationships are, are preserved. In that regard, when things go to litigation, they've gone nuclear. And they become adversarial and it really puts a strain on that relationship but but if you resolve these issues at the lowest level possible then uh, that preserves it and so many of these disputes are really the result of a lack of understanding uh between the respective parties employers employees about their rights and obligations under the law and a lot of times we can clear that up with a phone call or an email and esgr has uh in their website is www and they have a a nationwide network of hundreds of volunteer abuzzmen who are educated on the law. And what they will do is they will take they will take the information from the the service member or the veteran, and um, and then once they get there satisfied, they have what they need from them. They don't investigate, and once they find that, then they will go out and they will get um, they will talk to the employer. And try to bring the two, and try to find out, get to the uh, get to the root of the situation, and sort it out uh, appropriately. Now, they can individuals can always find with us, uh, file a complaint with us on our website. We have an electronic complaint form, the E ten ten E is an echo one zero one zero, and they can complete that and submit it online without having to file a paper copy, hard copy. And, um, in the court, if they have other documents to submit, they can upload them. But they can also, once an investigator is assigned, they can, uh, they can submit to, uh, that person as well. And we have, um, and we have a standard when they, when we get those complaints, we'll, we'll promptly open up an investigation on their behalf, usually within three to five business days. And then we will, uh, and it's, and our investigations are like any other. Any other federal civil investigation or IG inspector general investigation, uh, we collect all evidence, uh, all uh, all uh, hard copy documentary evidence, Mm -hmm. and we'll interview witnesses uh, that have any that are identified and have uh, information pertinent to the issues raised. And we have subpoena power. So if there's in the in those cases where the employer is reluctant to provide information, uh, they get hit with subpoena, and we use it when we have to.
1: So, do you We're see sure that? Do you usually see uh, employers? Are you able to resolve things most often pretty easily with employers? Or are they pretty receptive once they understand the law? Yeah. And you've explained it to them and everything? I
0: think that's, I believe that's right. We have, when we, when we investigate a complaint, uh, we don't use the word merit, uh, merit or non merit. Uh, we, we use, uh, I'm, I really am a big fan of the Army Inspector General and, um, and the way they operate which is very similar to the way we do, teach and train and, uh, and uh, all that. But we, we seek to uh, gather the evidence, and if the evidence we gather substantiates the allegations raised, then we will work with the employer to, uh, uh, to make sure that the employee gets what they need. We have a very good track record in resolving those, uh, those substantiated complaints and um and when we uh i think it's uh high, it's in the almost 90 percent or higher wow. and um and uh and even if we are not able to resolve a case to the claimant's satisfaction or if they uh if the claimant uh is not satisfied, uh, uh, we find the evidence does not substantiate the allegations raised they have the absolute right to request that case be referred to the justice department uh, in the case of non-federal cases or to the U.S. Office of Special Counsel uh, for federal sector cases for a complete brand-new review. In the, in the lawyer world, they call it de novo, uh, but it's a brand-new review. They just look at the evidence, and then they decide whether or not they're going to offer representation either in U.S. District Court or before the Merit Systems Protection Board. And, um, and so they have that. In addition, the claimant can always go to private counsel at any point in this process. They don't have to come to us. Or you know they can they can come to us directly, um, and uh, and we'll and we'll take it from there. And a lot of times in, in uh, but we have a very good track record on resolutions.
1: Wow, I really appreciate that for all the work and everything you guys are doing. Because I think a lot of times as well, employers because we have a, a country where a, a less and less people are serving in the military. You know, the veteran population is actually shrinking. You know, so we're losing veterans. You know, at at a rate of, I think, a few million every couple, every few years, roughly, like a million every two or three years, I believe, as as our veteran population gets smaller and smaller and fewer people are signing up to serve, that means there's fewer employers who really understand and can sympathize with the veteran experience and what that means to the country and important things that we do as veterans to support our nation. So, really repeat all the work that you're doing. William Keenan Torrens, U.S. Army Operations, Dead at Storm, Desert, Sh- uh, Desert Storm, Desert Shield. He's a veteran and presently serves as a director for the Veterans Employment and Training Service, Vets Compliance and Investigation Division. Thanks for your time.
0: Well, thank you so much. Anytime.
1: Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to
0: America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.